0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Mage Wars Mondays. This is episode twenty-one. We are officially able to uh, buy alcohol as a podcast, which is really interesting. I think um, <laughs> I'm one of your hosts. My name is Rick Perez from Let's Level Up.net, and I am really excited to have my uh, my brother in arms back, the indomitable one, the the man whose name strikes fear in the hearts of all in the arena, Mr. Aaron Brosman.
1: It's good to be back. Aaron, it's really good to be back.
0: I always say your last name is Brosman. Is it Brosman or Brosman?
1: Um, I, I always like to say that there's about 12 ways to pronounce my name. Uh huh. And I, I can't prove that any one of them is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've always said Brosman. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's obviously spelled Brosman. Yeah. Um, so, it. You know, either is fine by me.
0: Yeah, well, right on. Um, we have we have a really fun show for you today planned, um, uh, and, and it's one that is actually a request from some of the local players of the uh, the you know the West Texas Mate Wars Guild that I'm a part of, and um, he, he had really wanted us to focus an episode around common mistakes that are made, and from a guy who makes a ton of mistakes pretty much in everything he does I'm, I'm a bit of an expert i think in this particular field because i'm always messing something up um but there, there are a lot of little things and when aaron and i were talking about this episode there are a lot of little things that we could do as players within the arena that really could um i think that we could easily tweak or be conscious of while we're doing it and take our Mage wars game to the next level right um aaron would you like to kick off with something? Sure, sure. Um, So when we were talking about, um,
1: you know, kind of pitfalls that that new players can fall into, um, the first one that came to mind for me is one that uh, I have totally been known to be guilty of, um, which is either overbuilding or underbuilding. Mm -hmm. And by that I mean... um, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll get wrapped up in the idea that oh man, if I take my Assyrian, my Temple of Temple of Asyra, mm-hmm. and harmonize it then I can put two Assyrian Clerics in the next turn then, you know, every turn I'm going to be generating all this extra mana blah 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 um, and so I get really caught up in building uh, building an engine and building this economy um and a lot of times that's not necessary sure. um and the 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 opposite is also true is sometimes you go and you try to you know rush your opponent and you don't build enough to be able to you know f- finish them you know finally you know just get the the layup and and finish the game off um and the the first thing I'd say is it's not always about you know channeling. Channeling's the easy like the easy way. um that's also the easy uh, the easy way to fall victim to this is when you when you sit there and like, oh, you know I could I could get my channeling up more because I mean, a point of channeling is one of the best things you can possibly get in the game right. because it opens up all your other options but keep in mind that if the game if you can't make the game last longer than 5 rounds you're never going to you know start making profit on your uh on your mana flower that's
0: an excellent and apart point from,
1: yep. apart from that actions are the most um the most valuable thing you can have in the game and they're also one of the hardest things to get so just because you finally made it to turn to, to round 6 and your mana flower has made you uh has made profit it may still not be the right play because you needed that action for something else mm-hmm. um and those are things to keep in mind. Um, and from the flip side, um, building is not like like I said, building is not always about mana. I know I know when we had Alex on, he was talking very much from the uh, the rush standpoint. And for him, he was investing in level one creatures. Yeah, like that was his build. That was that was his way to ensure constant damage, and that was his way to finish you. So. That's that's how he was building appropriately, um, so that's the thing to keep in mind. Is just because you can get to fourteen plus channeling, it may not be the right play. Sure. Oh. And and that's that's. I know that especially when I first started playing. You know that's the thing you wanted to do. It's like oh no, I love sitting on huge piles of mana and being able to cast spells. <laughs> Uh but after one game of that, you know, and you know, you move to the next game and your opponent's like, Well that was that was silly. Um yeah. I'm I'm just gonna try and kill you now. Right. Well then that's a very different spin on things. So to me that's the, the first big thing is is kind of you know realizing when enough is enough <laughs>
0: yeah, <that's laughs> and
1: when you when you when you're good.
0: So so Aaron when is enough enough? Like, h- how do I know if you're going to go for a long? If you're planning for a long game, right? And you are, you have a strategy in mind, and you want to build up, and you want to have a good economy building up. But you notice you're you're sitting across the table from a force master, and it's turned true, and they're they're a zone away from you. You know, generally, there's probably not going to be very many creatures are coming. Galvatar may be right around the corner. And you're looking at double strike, you know, uh, you know, looking at some double strike damage coming at your way with the creature with a built-in defense or with the mage with a built-in defense. So how can a player recognize that as a being a threat and still be able to try to do what they were originally planning to do? Or I guess maybe uh, what I'm trying to ask, when do, you, when do you say, okay, never mind, I'm tapping out of this strategy and now I need to do... Uh, Plan B, right? So is is that something that can tie in with what you're talking about?
1: Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of times it is about recognizing that point in which you need to go to Plan B. Mm -hmm. Um, Knowing knowing your limits. I mean, one of the things, um, one of the biggest things I know that has been uh the the kind of is the the a rule of thumb uh that's come up in the forums uh in the past was if your opponent invests in economy you're safe to invest in economy so if they put down a mana crystal you can put down a mana crystal um you know you're safe to do that you know if that's not your strategy then that's not your it's not your strategy you can do different things but if you're wanting to if you're wanting to play that long game, as they invest in stuff, you can invest in stuff. And the other thing I would say is that if you're planning for a long game, ideally, you want to, you just want to make sure that you're getting slightly more than they are. Uh-huh. Um, and whether that's, um, from you know putting a mana siphon on them, or having. Uh, a mana crystal when they don't um, st- stuff like that. Um, uh, then you know. Then it's and now I've lost my train of thought.
0: Um, <laughs> well, but that'll happen. Yeah, that'll no. happen. But no, it's. Oh, sorry. Um, I was gonna say, if 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 I'm playing something aggro and generally if you're playing me. I'm going to be playing something aggro, right? I just, um, I have mm-hmm. a, I have a hard time winning those long games. The longer the game goes on for me, every turn I feel like my chances of actually winning um, dwindle a bit because I, I, I lose focus the more things get on the table. And it's, it's like that with me in a lot of games. Um, so if I can't finish you quick, my odds of actually finishing you are, are getting less and less with every turn that goes by. Um, so I try to always come out really hot out of the gate. Now, generally on turn 1, I do try to drop some sort of mana supplier, because I play a lot of ma- uh, mages with a, a 9 base channeling. So I try to get that at 10. So maybe turn 1, I drop a mana flower or a mana crystal, and then it's on to getting whatever creature or whatever equipment or enchantments I need out, and then closing that distance to get in your face. So if, if you're if you're the opposite end of that type of uh, thing, and you notice that this kind of play is... And, and, and maybe my turn 1 dropping the dropping the channel isn't is not gonna make a lot of sense at the end of the day. And Aaron brings up a very valid point. That it's gonna take five whole turns, which for a lot of new Mage Wars players may not seem like a lot, but when you watch the tournaments and you and you see the guys who are playing Force Masters and they're winning games in, in six or seven turns and eight turns, um, It can mean a lot depending on who you're playing. So when you're just new to the game, you're going to have matches that are an hour and a half long. You're going to have those two-hour, really epic battles. But in reality, a lot of the game is spent reading your spell book because you're still getting accustomed to things, I think. Um, So you have to know when is a good time to, I think, adjust and uh when when is it a time to say okay this strategy may not work for this particular circumstance and one of the great things about this game is that you're not hindered with the exception of spell points you're not hindered in any way to be bound to one particular thing now there is there is a case for i think spellbook synergy and deck synergy or whatever you want to call it um but for the most part you can always have a plan b or a plan c even Um, in some cases. So if this event happens, I can always go to this fallback mode. I've got these cheap creatures I can throw out to act as a buffer to help me get to the point where I can get out Talos or or something like that. And um, There's a lot of different opportunities there that the game provides um, for you to recognize different strategies coming at you and then be able to react to those accordingly. Oh, absolutely. Um, It's kind of
1: like of, you know, not to keep going back to it, but when we had Alex on and he was talking about how he had various single spells in his spell book for particular events that he was afraid of. Um, And it's like we were talking about um, a few episodes back, where it was, it's a matter, or I should say, yeah, two episodes ago, where it was, you know, to do one of the biggest things in this game is to try and... um, Get small advantages and do the most with the least amount of, um, you know, effort, cards, mana, uh, actions, stuff like that. So that's the, that's the, the thing. A lot of this does go back to that concept of making sure you always have, um, useful actions that you're doing. Um, the better you get at identifying, um, what you need to be doing. To both anticipate mm-hmm. your opponent and to counteract what they're doing, the more you're going to be able to find better and better um, actions that are going to be more valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to know when to kind of change gears. Um, the other thing to keep in mind is just because you know, just because they're barreling down at you doesn't mean you can't. Uh, keep investing in your game. It just changes what you need to invest in, mm-hmm. um, and you also have to be, you know, prepared. Um, like if you have, if you have a very aggressive mage barreling down on you, um, then you know, the minute you put on armor, they're gonna want to take it off. So, you know, if that's what you're anticipating, you can, uh, you know have a Nullify down down already. Mm. Or, you know, have a Rhino Hide <laughs> down already. So then you're going to have multiple sources of armor so you can kind of anticipate what they're doing. But that's investing in in your game. It's not right. investing in your economy, but it is investing in your, your game. So you can still do um, a lot of that. And yeah. a lot of times the key to to kind of identifying or rather I should say the key to adapting to the rush is doing
0: whatever it takes to get you alive until they're out of steam sure um, so, yeah, so that was my next question actually as the player who's rushing when do you realize crap this just isn't going to work um, there's just there's too much armor i don't have the i don't have the mana right now to be able to take away everything and every turn this guy's going to get harder and harder to kill um As a rush player, do you just try to commit full blown to the rush? or do you try to back up a little bit and then maybe try uh, maybe try you know plan B and, and, and get some more creatures out or get something out to help you um, you know have your, if we think of it like when Alex was on the show, he talked about damage being a type of resource, right? And it's very smart and it's probably the most important resource in the game. If I can deal more damage onto you, I'm going to win the game. And that's just the way. That's just the way it works, right? Um, if I could deal more damage than you could do to me, then I'm gonna win. I'm gonna. I'm eventually. I'm gonna kill you. Um, so, and this happens to me so much. This actually. This actually happened to me not too long ago. Um, I was playing as the, uh, excuse me, the um, the Araxian Crown Warlock, and I was playing against the Beastmaster, and it was a guy who was fairly new to the game and one of the things i was trying to promote you know with the beastmaster is this idea of quick summoning and you can just get a ton of you know little creatures out these level one creatures who can come out and just you swarm them um... and then with the lair you can get more creatures out so you can potentially summon three creatures in a turn and and then just flood the board So the game opens up with some very strong rolls for me and it's looking like it's going to be a pretty big one-sided match something happens halfway in the game and then all of a sudden I realized is the two creatures, I had a Dark Fiend Bat and I had a, um, oh goodness, the Fire, the fire Thrower uh, Naga guy. Flaming Hellion? Yes, the Flaming Hellion. Sorry about that. Um, so I had those out and then the next thing I know, my, my Bat's down, my Hellion's down, and then I'm surrounded by six or seven creatures. And there was a point where I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> crap like I didn't recognize the threat building up I focused too much on the mage itself and I didn't really see the um, I didn't really see the threat for what it was right and I, I kind of started head hunting to the point that it cost me the game and there's eventually a point where I was like okay there's no more even though you're only rolling two or three dice you know a turn or, or per creature that's still 12 dice a turn and that's going to be more than my five that I've got right now, and um, it, of course I ended up losing. So as that rush player, um, Aaron, do you think there's a – do you commit all the way with a rush, or or do you have a backup strategy if you feel like the rush isn't working?
1: Me personally, um, I go all in. Yeah. I'm just – like if I'm doing a rush, that that's how I do it.
0: Um, I, I do the same, but, and, I, and I lose a lot of games that way, too. <laughs> at the same time,
1: there's still a moment where you, you know you need to change gears. Mm-hmm. Um, good example. Um, I was trying out a Force Master book that someone else had made um, because basically several people talked about how awesome it was, and I'm like, well, this is jank as crap. Um, it uses a whole bunch of spells that most people don't ever use, and I want to see how it works. And So I was playing it. And I followed up with what he normally started with, which seemed really weird to me. He put a um, Thought Spore out mm-hmm. with Force Hammer on it. And okay. I'm like, well, that's silly. You're going to run yourself out of mana really freaking quick. Yeah, Force Hammer's pretty heavy. But what I found was that, yes, that that spellbook. Went straight for the throat. And if you didn't protect yourself, then it was like, Congratulations, my mage attacks you. My mage attacks you. My mage drops a force hammer on you. You know, and continuously does that. And after a couple rounds, yes, you're out of mana. But at that point, you just need a layup because they're pretty much finished. <coughs> well, the interesting thing there is you still have those moments where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to, like, going straight for his head is not the way to stop them. Uh-huh. Um, I was playing against someone, and basically they're like, bam, I'm going to play down a Battleforge. And I was like, no, I'm force-hammering the crap out of it. Mm-hmm. And I attacked it, and I burned it down uh, that same turn. So he got to spawn one thing out of it uh, and then next turn I think two turns later I should say I blew up two mana crystals in the same turn before they oh, were able brutal. to get anything close to their mana back
0: yeah, so at
1: that point at that point yes I'm spending far more mana than he is but I have tools on the table that still allow me to keep going Um, Yes, I'm going to be slower, but at the same time, he's Mm -hmm. got to build from scratch. So it was just a really interesting thing of, you know, uh, identifying, hey, the minute this hits the table, I have to get rid of it because I can't afford for him to be able to kind of get back into this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so I think that that's the big thing with Rush is... Is identifying the little things um for a control player you're looking at the big picture um if you want to do a con you want to play for the long game then yes you're looking for small plays that are going to um, have a big impact across many turns whereas uh, if you're playing the rush strategy you're looking for what is the most important thing for me to get rid of this round um and obviously you know you want to look into the future you want to be thinking ahead but at the same time it's like oh he summoned a creature he's trying to get you know effectively he's trying to get back into this game but I've got three creatures do I have a way of killing that creature before it can attack well yeah you know in that case then you're protecting what you've already invested in and you're removing his ability to retaliate. So that's the thing with the, the rush is, yes, you can become um, unilaterally focused on the mage and just go, mm, if I cut off the head, then you go down. And so you keep barreling at them, but oftentimes it's about recognizing um, what you need to do to, you know, keep your position on the board. Um, so, yes, damage on the mage is the most important, but at the same time as you see what they're doing, if you have ways of turning their good plays into wasted time and mana, that's your, that's that's really going to help you. That's really going to help you mm-hmm. uh, uh, win. So, and that's the big thing with the rush, with the, like I said, with with um a long you know a, a economy game a longer game you're looking for small plays that are going to have that kind of ripple effect across many turns and allow you to take advantage of being slightly better than them at at things um because slightly better than someone one round 6 rounds later is a lot better than them so or it can be and that's your goal with, with those kind of, uh, plays. Whereas the, the rush is looking to identify threats quickly and neutralize things appropriately.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's interesting. And both have the, uh, both have the issue of over committing to their strategy, um, to the expense of, um, someone who's a flexible, uh, player,
0: someone who's recognizing, uh, what they're going for. In your, in your opinion, Aaron, what's the most flexible mage? Is it the wizard? Is it the warlord?
1: Personal opinion, um, I do think the wizard is the most flexible mage. Uh-huh. Um, that being said, um, the anvil, anvil throne warlord mm-hmm. is pretty solid. He's got... He's got a lot of avenues open to him. Um, the problem with him is that whereas he's flexible in the strategies that he can implement, he is not light on his feet. He is not going to be able to uh, switch strategies quickly. So right. yep. you ha- when I talk about identifying threats and responding appropriately, you have to be very good at that with him to really kind of maximize his effectiveness. Um, and then... Uh, I really find that the druid is surprisingly flexible. It's weird because she, she has a lot of flexibility, but she plays like a lot of the same cards over and over. Like yeah. she plays plants. So you know, you're going to have plants, but a cunning druid player, um, can adapt to a lot of things. Um, now obviously fire is always a bad matchup. Um, and in my experience there's only a couple of ways to deal with with that and for me the thing i found that works best is aggression um, if you if you drop a raptor vine right on their grill on the second round and rouse the beast it people start to kind of react to that instead of doing what they normally do sure um but that's that's the thing is that they, i mean there's still a big um, kind of Achilles' heel there, but she can do a lot. But I would definitely say, um, that the the wizard and the Anvil Throne Warlord, um, are the most flexible as far as the strategies they can implement.
0: Yeah, I I think I would agree with that as well. I mean, I think um, um, the wizard has a lot of avenues and and can really turn on a dime. You know, um. Depending on how you put your depending book together. Depending on how you build him. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, depending on how you have your book together, he he does have the potential to turn on a dime. Um, certain strategies with him don't.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. Namely, if you're going for his spawn point, um, that one doesn't so much turn on a dime, but at the same time, mm-hmm. he still has, you know, a fairly good suite of creatures, so you can still respond very well, very mm-hmm. well.
0: The, um, w- one of the things that I wanted to bring up in this podcast, um, this specific episode, rather, one of my, one of the weaknesses I see a lot of, uh, particularly new players, and even, and even me to some extent, and I wouldn't classify myself as a new player, um, in any regard, but I would, I would still, you know, I, I haven't made a big splash on the tournament scene or anything like that, so, um, planning phase. I, I think the planning phase, um, is is arguably the most important phase of the game, right? So I'm picking out my spells from my book and I'm setting the tone for what I'll be doing um, potentially um, within the next action, um, within the next, next action stage. So a lot of times I see and and I've been guilty of this in the past is is poor planning and that could be any number of things that could be picking out the wrong the wrong spell for what you're expecting someone to be doing and reading the situation wrong that could be not um, not correctly identifying the amount of mana that you have in uh, uh, for play versus what you're trying uh, trying to do in the next turn um, both with maybe creatures actions um, uh, familiar actions uh, your own quick actions versus the spells you want to play um, or versus not knowing that somebody is going to, you know, do a mana drain on you or something like that, and then you preventing you from doing what you had originally planned to do, and not planning for, um, for that Plan B type strategy that I was talking about briefly earlier. Um, but planning is 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 a big big part of the game. Um, outside of actually moving your units around on the board um it is a huge part of how this game um works and it's you know that's your draw that's how you get more resources or or more utility um onto the field whether it be creatures or conjurations enchantments or equipment um i mean that's that's how you get those and if you don't plan correctly um you're gonna you're gonna end up hurt i think (laughs) in the in the long run of the game um Aaron, do you have any do you have any tips for planning? Um, and I know that's a very broad question. Well, um,
1: the best thing I would say is to keep going back to that concept. That you wanna the first thing you wanna do is try and make sure that you're making useful actions on your turn. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you have to be casting spells with all your actions, or you have to be you know summoning creature or any of this is, is just that—you want to make sure that your actions are useful. You get so few of them um, that having an action that's a total dud is a huge deal. Oh yeah, um, big time. I know. I know. Uh, a lot of times, when players are first playing, there there comes, there generally comes around in uh, one of their first few games, where you sit there and you stare and you're like, oh, I counted that wrong. I can't cast this second spell, and I am not in range to attack you, so I can't do, you know, I have no useful action. If your opponent's play causes you to lose an action, that's one thing, but the first thing you want to do is make sure that you're you're not doing it to yourself. Right. Um, and then you can start looking at an, at anticipating what your opponent's playing. Um, and a lot of that just comes from experience, Sure. Um, learning what cards, what cards exist, and what cards are likely to be played, um, and that's a lot of, that's a lot of the planning phase. The biggest thing I would say is, uh, a- apart from you know things that we've covered before, um, which is namely that concept of useful actions, um, but other than that, uh, I want to bring out a term from my days playing chess, um, you need to have good board vision. Uh, you need to be able to look out and remember everything that's out there and everything that's affecting you. Um, the number of times, uh, the number of times I've had a game, and this goes on both sides, I'm not picking on anyone who's played me, um, because I know I have done it too, um, but the number of times it's like, oh, I totally forgot that they were wearing a suppression cloak and so Mm -hmm. I needed to keep extra mana or oh I totally forgot um that you know they had um you know they had placed an enchantment on themselves like three rounds ago you know and I've never checked tried to check and see what it was you know um And that's that's kind of another... Enchantments... Remembering what you've tested enchantments for is another thing. Um, Because I've watched someone be deathly afraid that I was going to block their attack. But they didn't remember that that enchantment had been there two rounds ago when they attacked me (laughs) with their Bitterwood Fox. And so Mm. there was no way that could be a block.
0: Exactly, yeah.
1: So... but. Um, but yeah, the uh, the idea here is is that you're watching the board and you're seeing how the ef- the different, um, the different effects are going to uh, mesh and they're going to influence how you play your turn. Yeah, that's a um, good point. And in Mage Wars is both better and worse in the fact that a lot of times. Uh, Those effects are short-range. They're like, oh, it's this zone or this couple of zones. Um, Like Gravacore is a great example. Uh, It's a promo card, but things within a certain distance of it lose flight. Well, if you forget that it's there and you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just totally take my my Darkfin bat and fly it over that wall, well, you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) <laughs> um, oh that's but that's, awesome. but, but that's, that's something um, that's something to keep in mind when planning is to look at the whole board and try and um, try and keep stock of the situation the game is in right now so you know how best to plan for it um, Mage Wars is a game of lots of little pieces of information um you know oh I get to see what mage you are so I know most likely you're running a lot of spells of blah school mm-hmm. um oh you know that mage has a lot of cards that does this so you're probably leaning somewhere in there you know um you know and so as you see things as they play cards you're getting more and more information um and so the the best way to keep um to kind of keep your planning smooth is to just, you know, take a breath and then take stock of your situation every round and go, okay, this is where we're at now Mm -hmm. and go from there. Um, But the last thing you want to do is forget, oh, man, there's a suppression orb out. I can't actually move in there. Right. Um, Or, dang, uh, he did have a... uh, Chains of agony on me, and so if I move in there, he'll be able to kill me with his counter counterstrike. Um, things like that.
0: That's ex- but you just wanna, excellent you know, advice for sure. Take stop Yeah. Um, well, I think we're. I think that's it, man. We I, we had a couple more things to talk about, so we may revisit this subject. Uh, maybe on a future podcast but um, you know that's it for our time today guys I really really hope you guys are enjoying the show still I get I mean every episode I get a ton of uh, messages on on Twitter and emails um, and ping backs on our on our site just uh, from people who are listening who really enjoy it so um, I hope you're one of them if you are listening and I just want to say thanks because it's so awesome to me and it's it's um, speaking for Aaron um and, and scott as well it's just great you guys not only enjoy the game that we're so passionate about um but you enjoy us talking about it and um you know it's very for me humbling and uh at the end of the day really nice um so thank you a lot and um we've got a, a ton of uh really cool things coming on the horizon within the mage wars universe you know we got the uh, the fourth edition of the mage wars arena core set coming out which is going to be really sweet um uh i think reprints of force master versus warlord are are happening is that correct did i just make that up aaron
1: um i don't know what their status is but yes those are happening yeah um I am not the production guy, so uh, I'm not the person who can give any sort of, yeah. sort of concrete thing about that. But they're definitely in
0: process. Awesome, yeah. And, and I am not that guy either, so forgive me if I say something that is, is a bit overstepping here. Um, but yeah, so there's just a really bunch of really cool things. Battlegrounds is right around the corner. And of course, the the infamous Paladin versus Siren coming out... Um, um, hopefully sooner than later. I keeping my fingers crossed on that one. I'm really looking forward to that. So, um, a lot of really cool stuff happening in the Mage Wars space and in, in the Arcane Wonder space as well. So, um, uh, even personally, I got a I've got a new baby coming out in probably two weeks, maybe three weeks, and um, we're really excited about that. And then on top of that, uh, my first board game has been signed by uh, Lamplight Games, and uh, you know we're looking at. Um, launching that later this year after some more refinement but um, it's going to be a big year for us uh, both with Let's Level Up and Arcade Wonders slash Mage Wars so uh, hope you guys are ready to buckle in because it's going to be a heck of a ride Aaron you want to say anything before we sign off
1: um now that we're 21 I totally recommend that people try a Moscow Mule but make (laughs) sure that you have the, the copper cup because that really does make it uh, and also, you need to use actual, like, Krabbies because uh, that's really good stuff.
0: Awesome. So, yeah. and now also, that we're 21. yeah, also make sure that you are, in fact, of age. Uh, that may add. That <laughs> is super important, too. Yeah. Just because uh,
1: we're 21 doesn't mean that you're allowed. That's right. If you're not.
0: Yeah, that's right. Uh, well, Aaron, thanks so much for joining us again, buddy. I really appreciate it. It's and, a pleasure. Um, your time as always, man. And thank you guys for listening. Until next time, game on. Thank you.